0: I'm Brandon Bartnick, and this is the Future of Mobility podcast. We're at an exciting time in the mobility sector with new technology causing us to continually question the way we move both goods and people. My job is to talk to the people leading this revolution and to highlight the challenges and opportunities we face as we develop and implement safe, sustainable, and equitable mobility solutions. This podcast is brought to you by FEV. Check us out on LinkedIn or learn more at FEV.com. Today's guest is Chris Thomas. Chris is co-founder of Detroit Mobility Lab, also co-founder and partner of Assembly Ventures. Uh, Previously, he had co-founded Fontaneles Partner, and during his time there, he was a board member of some companies you might know, such as Newtonomy, Caramba, Security, Park Mobile, Life 360, Ouster, Smart Cargo, and and others. Uh, Before Fontaneles, Chris was a communications officer in the U.S. Army, serving in the U.S. and Iraq. Overall, fascinating discussion. Great great guy. Uh, We covered a lot of ground here so we, we talked to, on the personal side a good amount so chris talked about the importance in his mind of candor and something he's been able to leverage throughout his uh his career awesome story he shared about his internship at ford while, while pursuing his mba in which he was able to build a long-term relationship with bill ford which is, which is kind of crazy to think about how that came about and then we also talk about the mobility ecosystem so the way i guess he and Assembly Ventures are thinking about the ecosystem. He said ISA instead of CASE, thinking about this different framework for how the, the different players throughout the industry are coming together for different mobility and transportation type applications and then also how they've structured Assembly Ventures and the way he he pitched it as um, uniquely serve to, to serve value and provide value in, in certain areas. So overall, I, I really enjoyed the conversation. It left me with a lot to think about it. Um, and I, I hope it does the same for you. So please enjoy my conversation with Chris Thomas. Today I'm joined by Chris Thomas. Chris, thanks for coming on. Ah, no, thanks for having me, Brent. So if you don't mind, can we start? Uh, I don't know. Give, give me a 30 second kind of elevator pitch your your career and kind of where we are, and then we'll we'll dive into some specific topics here.
1: 30 seconds. I'll do my best. So I am a working class kid uh, from Waterford originally. First in my family to go to university at Michigan State, a couple degrees there, turned investment banker for a couple of years on the West Coast in San Francisco, turned U.S. Army officer uh, when I joined the Army with my brother when the Iraqi war kicked off, uh, MBA on the East Coast, uh, co-founded the first firm in the world uniquely investing in mobility, had a chance to be a part of, lead, and be on the board of some of the largest exits in the sector to date. Um, I then stepped away, uh, founded two new entities, the Detroit Mobility Lab and the Michigan Mobility Institute, focused on building the biggest ecosystem for mobility and creating talent mobility here in Detroit and around North America. And I'm now a co-founder of Assembly Ventures, the first transatlantic mobility fund in the world. Most importantly, I'm a husband and father to two wonderful little boys and uh, live right in downtown Detroit.
0: Awesome, yeah. I, I, I'll have to check the tape to see if you made the 30 seconds, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. I, I, I might
1: want went over just a little
0: bit. <laughs> yeah, uh, very cool. Sounds like you've you've done some fascinating things and I'm, I'm really uh, excited to dig in here. So Thanks. the first thing, the first place I wanted to go is, uh, so I know we, when we were talking before, you'd, you'd mentioned a little bit of time in an interesting uh, situation you had in, in an MBA kind of internship of some sort at Ford. So I, I wanted to uh, kind of start there. Can you kind of tell the story what, what happened there?
1: Sure, sure. Yeah, I feel like this story has reached legendary status. I'm always asked, and it's a great story. I'm very proud of it. But it kind of speaks to, to step back, it speaks to these really unique moments in my life where I've had the opportunity to make a decision that was truly life changing. Mm -hmm. And so when I think back to like where or why I've made these decisions, there's two things that have really guided me kind of boldness and candor as I kind of engage with the world around me. One of my business partners, Jessica Robinson, she likes to say that I've had a career full of incredibly in a kind of forward-thinking bold choices that are slightly reckless. Uh, And that's probably true. And so when I think back to my undergraduate experience at Michigan State, I was working as a Senate page and the governor at the time walked through the chamber and I made the decision. I'm like, I want to meet the governor. So I dropped what I was doing, ran through the chamber, ran downstairs, introduced myself that turned into an internship overseas, which gave me a great opportunity to work on behalf of the state of Michigan and economic development. Um, when I was working in banking, my brother called me late one night and said, I'm joining the army just out of the blue. He was in Kalamazoo. And I sat there after he told me what he wanted to do, uh, hung up the phone, looked at my screen for about 10 minutes and called him back and said, I'm going to do this with you completely changed my life. When I was at Yale for my MBA, there was a school, there's a program that was announced with the prior, uh, prime minister of the UK coming to Yale and there was a a huge application demand to kind of be a part of this class where he was teaching and proctoring. And I immediately was like, I'm going to apply. And it was by far the most amazing experience I've ever had being able to learn, you know, from him directly and talk about these major issues. And the story when I was an MBA uh, intern at Ford is very much the same. So I showed up at Ford Motor Company. Um, I had three years of experience in the automotive industry proper as an intern uh, during the summer. And was posted to Treasury, working on collateralized debt obligations, which I was not excited about. And so, my second day in the job, I reached out to every C-suite uh, executive at the firm, and I said the same thing: I'd love half an hour of your time to talk about, you know, why you're here, where this company's going, what questions should I be asking. And because I was the Homer State School, military, Yale kid, they're like, sure, you know, let's let's have lunch, let's have coffee. And one of the people I reached out to was Bill Ford. And about two weeks into my internship i got a call in my cube hey chris uh this is bill this is mr ford um i got you got your message i have half an hour can you come upstairs and i was like absolutely i can and so ran upstairs um you know he comes out of his office doesn't know me from adam chris great to meet you appreciate your pluck tell me about your internship and i said well, mr ford i hate my internship uh, and here's why and i gave him an earful for about a minute and he laughed at me and he's like well we have 29 more minutes you know let's have a nice enough conversation and we have a nice enough conversation and he's kind of shooing me out of his office. Chris, nice to meet you. Have a great summer. And he shook my hand and said, let me know if there's anything else I can do for you. And I held his handshake and I said, well, there is Mr. Ford. You can put me on the most interesting project at the company. And he's like, well, what's that? And I said, I have absolutely no idea but you do. Uh, and that's what I came to work on. So he laughed at me again. He's like, have a nice weekend. Showed up on Monday. The guy who I was reporting to still hated me. He's, he's like, report to Mr. Ford. Uh, and that meeting turned into the ability to work on the, uh, looking at a project on the future of transportation in mega cities over 10 million. And at the end of that summer, um, well, and during that meeting Bill said come back in a week and tell me what you think. And Mr. Ford became Bill and this real affinity around the future of mobility was fostered. And so at the end of that summer, I said, I want to build a business, you know, in mobility. And he's like, well, what do you want to build? And I said, I've absolutely no idea, but I see the demographic trends, the technology trends, there's something special here. And I build very bad business plans for the first six months with a colleague and then come up with the idea that we need to invest uniquely in this space. So six months later, Bill and I and three others co-found the first firm in the world that's investing in this space. And over the next decade, I have the ability to lead or be a part of or source some of the biggest exits in the history of the space over the last 10 years. So I, I joke with Bill, you know, we, we live in a great country. Your great granddad was Henry Ford. Mine was a coal miner from Franklin, Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, with, with pluck and candor and boldness, Great things can happen, but that's that's how my career kicked off in mobility.
0: Yeah, and I think some uh, some fertile ground to dive into here, and lots of questions I want to ask. Uh, I guess r- real quick aside, the uh, you, you mentioned kind of these some of these biggest named exits that you've been uh, a part of. Can you can you name a couple of the uh, the companies there?
1: Sure. So I had the pleasure of sitting on the board and helping negotiate the Series A and working on the negotiating the sale of a company called Newtony. So as of today, that's the largest cash exit in the history of full-stack autonomous systems. Um, 400 million cash in the downstroke, for total deal value of 450, less than $20 million invested. So a tremendous kind of economic return. I think more importantly, the, the executive team and the technology from Newtonomy is now kind of the core assets that runs something called Motional, which is a multi-billion joint venture between Hyundai and Aptiv. Mm-hmm. So incredibly proud of not only, you know, the return and what we, that's what our job is to do great things from a financial return perspective, but just the prolific nature of that technology and that team, but deals like, uh, Uber's first AI acquisition, you know, one of Verizon's largest telematics acquisition, um, deals, there's actually just a great deal that's very uh, in the news today, um, or this week rather is a, is a deal called, uh, uh, selling that's focused on the printing of circuits for automobiles. So no longer do you have to, you know, produce, you know, a wire harness. Uh, the wires in Asia, the pegboard in, in Mexico, semi-finished, shipped to Detroit. But you can actually print them real time on the line alongside the vehicle itself. Mm-hmm. I had the privilege of, you know, working with a great team um, to kind of put this together early days, and they just announced their Series C with Lear uh, earlier this week. But you know, it's just a remarkable group of companies that have exited. To your point, Brandon. But also other deals, another great one called Gattic. It's the leading autonomous program and, and kind of system, rather, for uh, kind of middle mile autonomy, focused on box trucks within different logistics applications. Had a chance to, you know, kind of meet with that team and, you know, bring that to to the fore. Um, incredibly proud of those deals.
0: Yeah, very, very cool. And uh, actually been a past guest. Uh, had the chance to t- talk and cover some of the stuff they're doing, which I, I think uh, is really cool from a business uh business model perspective. Gautam, yeah.
1: I'll tell you, Gautam is one of the most impressive entrepreneurs I've ever met. When I first met with them, at, I was at Plug and Play headquarters in Sunnyvale or Santa Clara. Um, and it was him and his two co-founders in a, a windowless room. And they had stretched their dollars so far to build what they built, but the technical prolific kind of nature of what they were building and the and just how wonderful and kind they are. you know, I'm, I'm incredibly happy for their success.
0: Awesome. So the the, uh, the next area I wanted to go. So, you you talked about this question that you asked and it's what, what's the most interesting question or the most interesting project at Ford during your, your, in, your internship there. And and how can yeah. I work on that? And it, that, that stands out to me because it, uh, very, very closely jives with, uh, some career advice I was given early on, which is basically, uh, yeah. You don't know what you're doing. You're coming into a new company, new industry, try to find sure. the most important projects that yeah, interest you and try to get yourself as close to the action as you can pretty much and try to make an impact, mm-hmm. which I think in my own career has, has been uh, incredibly fruitful so far. But uh, what do you happen to remember kind of what led you to choosing? That's your question that you, you wanted to ask.
1: It was really spur of the moment. I mean, it goes back to this very interesting <laughs> for good or for ill, this trait of mine, where when I'm in those moments, you know, I want to make sure I'm not leaving anything on the table. Now, the, the important thing to keep in mind here is we talk about, everyone always talks about their successful conversations mm-hmm. and stories, you know, they don't talk about the ones that maybe went south. And so I've, I've asked a lot of folks, I continue to reach out to folks, and it's less so now as you get older and more established in your career, where that door is not necessarily, you know, open that you can run through. Um, but there's lots of times in which I've reached out or I've attempted to reach out. I was, in, I was in Omaha, Nebraska once, and I got it in my mind that I wanted to meet Warren Buffett. I was there. Mr. Buffett was there. Why wouldn't I want to meet him? And so uh, I found out where he lived, and I was going to leave a note in my card on his door in the off chance he'd want to get together for coffee. And it was a very off chance, by the way. But as I, as I approached his home, um, like the voice of God sound system came down. It was like, you know, don't come any further. You know, I wasn't going to meet Mr. Buffett that day. And that's that's okay. And that's an extreme example of being told to, to go the other way. Yeah. But I think it's, to your point, it's like the only thing that stops us from asking those questions is fear and ego. Like someone's going to say no to us. Someone's going to reject you. Someone's going to be like, you know what? I don't have time for you for whatever reason. Who cares? Yeah. You know, like t- take that shot, make that, do it respectfully and be cognizant of the situation you're in. But make that ask. And those couple of times when you get the yes, it, it makes such a huge difference, in my opinion.
0: And do you happen to know, or l- looking back, trying to connect the dots retrospectively, uh, kind of where this mindset or that this candor, as you call it, um, came from? Was it from your, your parents, Some, something innate, something else?
1: Gosh, it's a great question. Uh, I've always been a very, per, like, people person, let's put it that way, in terms of reaching out and engaging. Um, and that's where I've learned the most. That's where I enjoy engaging on ideas or on projects the most. I don't know. To be honest with you, I think it's just been a trait that I will say it's been a trait that was very much encouraged by my mentors, by my grandparents, by men and women who have been in my life who I respect and who taught me a great deal over the course of my, my adolescence in my career. Um, I also think it's because you know I was I was I loved sports com- growing up. I loved competition. Um, You get a taste for winning uh, and you want to keep doing it. You want to, you know, put yourself out there, but it is a bit of a, you know, it's, it's a bit of an odd thing. As as I mentioned earlier with my, my colleague Uh, there's always some recklessness with choosing to do that and you have to be prepared for the consequences. Mm -hmm. But in my, in my life, you know, they've, they've only made positive outcomes and made me a much better person, whether it was putting myself in dangerous situations or, or putting myself in situations where the outcome was by no means, you know, assured, but and that success is all the more sweeter when, when you do that and you can do it well.
0: Yeah. That makes sense. Really, really interesting uh, mindset there. Uh, I, I think let, let's jump a little bit to kind of the, the, the philosophy or the approach that you've taken to uh, the, the venture space. So you mentioned um, you started kind of the first real true mobility focused um, fund. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what uh, what word you use, but no, that's right. Can can you, uh, yeah, can can you think of or can you talk a bit about how you think about this and how it might be different from other people in the space or kind of common perception?
1: No, great question. And so, you know, Assembly Ventures, as I mentioned, the first transatlantic mobility fund in the world, and we're incredibly different by way of our makeup and by way of our philosophy. And so what we strove to build is, you know, the, the most, the deepest team by way of both investment prowess and operational expertise, men and women that have been in the field, building companies, putting together differentiated opportunities, figuring out ways to actually scale a business. And I'm a huge believer that you must have both. You can't just have all financiers. You can't just have all operators. If you're going to choose one, you should choose the operator side. But I think that's, that's a huge difference. I think the other thing for us is the way that we define the opportunity. Mm -hmm. So we define it broadly by design. We define mobility as the physical and digital movement of people, goods, data, and energy. So there's certainly, you know, some very large all logistics funds or some large all ground transport funds. You know, we're looking at these major thematics within electrification, within autonomy, within supply chain, within infrastructure, within manufacturing, Mm -hmm. and the way in which, you know, these huge marketplaces from the OEMs, old and new, to the infrastructure players, to pure tech, to financial services within you know, differentiated payments or insurance, where are the opportunities that incent and empower that, that very large opportunity? So I think that optic, from our perspective, is incredibly valuable. And then looking across air, land, sea, and space, I think, again, like you need to be thinking, if you talk about folks in Detroit, and I give you know, Mary know a lot of credit. Like Just the other day, she was announcing about their aerial you know, VTOL initiative, which is, which is exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think mostly it's kind of ground transport auto. If you talk to Southern California, traditionally it's been aerospace. Now they're kind of getting into more electrification, but there's so many ways in which we can empower our incumbent industry kind of champions to do so much more with the, with the manufacturing assets they have through technology implementation. And the only way you could do that, I think, is if you have teams on the ground, men and women on the ground Mm -hmm. in different geographies, So you have the ability to bring all these things to bear in a real apples to apples perspective. So this is what we've done. And and this is what we're incredibly excited about. The last thing I'd mention is I think you need to have a team that is made up of people that are really good at what they're really good at. And what I mean by that is like, I'm really good at a a handful of things. Um, I'm much worse. And everything else. So, I want to build a team that has these amazing attributes, and together we're much stronger. There was a great piece that was picked up by Bloomberg, actually, which was a little surprising, um, focused on our operating advisors. And these are made up of men like Joe Heinrichs and Philip von Hagen. You know, Joe, one of the premier manufacturers of his career, former board member at Rivian, former EVP and president of everything at Ford, now with Exide, Philip von Hagen, former um, supervisory board member, one of three board members that oversaw. All of Volkswagen, Audi, and Porsche, and then others like Susan Hasty and Tahani Jones, and you know, and Tony Patsawitz. It's a it's an amazing group, but these men and women are just so amazing, so prolific, in all the little things that they know from from different aspects of, of law to different aspects of, of technology, and they're excited about bringing that to our companies and to our team. So that's that's some of the ways we're different.
0: So you you talk a bit about uh the the scale and how you're taking kind of this holistic and in some ways I'd say it's a, I forget, I forget exactly how it was phrased, but uh more so- solutions focused rather than uh, product focused So it's not necessarily that we're trying to come up with the best car. We're tra- trying to come up with the best way to move people, goods, information, et, et cetera, which I think is a, in itself, a, a powerful uh, mindset to take. But uh, I guess my, my question is how, how do you see through or how do you cut through the noise and choose and prioritize and actually pick something. And I, I've seen this in, in the podcast itself. So I started this, even whether I told myself directly or not, I thought ground transportation, electrification, automated driving, that's kind of that's where I'm going to be. And then I get into it and I realize, well, there's people developing the t- technology at all these different levels. There's people implementing implementing the technology, laying out the infrastructure, developing policies. We're not just sure. talking about ground transportation yeah. We're talking about agriculture, construction, um, marine, right. air. It, it becomes, yeah, there's this whole ecosystem all working together, theoretically. Um, so yeah, how, how do you think about and prioritize and choose where, where you're getting your hands in and where you're trying to make an impact?
1: No, no, it's a great question. And I think it's the, it's the first question you should be asking yourself about, you know, why and where you're doing anything. And it comes back to mission. So, you know, what is our mission at assembly and why are we persecuting it? And so we, to step back, the paradigm that's been utilized within automotive or mobility for the last decade, last eight, nine years, give or take is case, which I know you're familiar with. I'm sure most of the viewers today are, you know, connected autonomy, shared electric. We believe that framework, that paradigm is not only incorrect, it's dangerous. When you think about the future of mobility investment and how do you maximize impact and you maximize returns. So we stepped back and said, what is the right framework? What is our mission? And we put forth something that we call ISA. It begins with infrastructure as kind of the, the bedrock of new mobility systems. The systems layer, which, which kind of connects the, the physical and the digital, you know, the bytes and the atoms and the way in which they're going to work together. And the applications layer which is really looking at the ways in which you engage with empower and monetize the consumer and so within isa we have nine main theses that we must actually check the box on to deploy capital and make an investment and so it's it's having that framework which is not meant to hem in but it's meant to focus and to your point how do you cut through the clutter and really understand you know you want to invest in amazing teams you want to invest in prolific technology one of the other big benefits we have is because we have a truly, a truly unique global network within global mobility, but we have deep intimate local access to the men and women that own the p in these industrial centers. That's very, very rare. And so by being able to put that, that intel together, we know what certain entities are looking for, and we can help to curate and find those companies that you know, would, would, be, would love to engage with those larger entities sooner rather than later. But ISA as a framework is really where we begin, And then from there, within those nine theses, that's, fuc- that's focusing on the future of electrification, you know, from the, from the utility to the smart grid to the individual electrified asset. And then thinking down two or three layers around what does it mean when it comes to charge points? What, it, what does it mean when it comes to capacity? How do we think about differentiated ways to ensure that you're not focused or not waiting five hours for a trickle charge? Um, but you can get to eighty percent charge in five minutes. You know th- those things are going to be incredibly important. Thinking about it from a logistics perspective, looking at all the geospatials, air, land, sea, and space. Um, the future of manufacturing, you know, I believe, is much smaller lots, much smaller volumes, that at much higher margins through technology enablement, because we'll be able to do these things, you know, in a in much, a much greater ROI perspective. And if we are producing them locally. know by either near sourcing or just changing the way in which we produce component parts the second and third order effects on logistics and supply chain are huge Mm -hmm. and so it's about it's about diving really deep within all the ones i mentioned and then logistics just as an aside the future of kind of the robotic warehouse thinking about fulfillment fulfillment opportunities you know how are we doing autonomy in the yard and first and last mile and first and last meter but going really really deep there And having a thesis, which is based not just on this guy seems really like a flash in the pan or this technology has been validated by one party, but living in the ecosystem that is mobility. I think that all together gives us really a unique optic. And the last thing I'd mention is Felix and Jessica. Um, Felix Shoyfinlin, our partner in Berlin; Jessica Robinson, our partner with Detroit, their operational expertise. What Felix has done over the course of his career, building huge businesses, and advising large corporates around their their you know their strategy when it comes to automotive rail and mobility holistically it's just it's incredibly exciting how we can you know tear apart an opportunity or a problem and very quickly laser in on you know this is the right team this is the right technology this is the right partnership
0: mm-hmm. how uh, how do you think about it? how how do you define kind of success for yourself then in in this framework so uh, i'm i'm sure right? It's a assembly venture, venture fund. There, there's a financial aspect, obviously, and that's the easy thing to measure on ROI, but it sounds at least from the conversation and what, what I know about you and, and the fund that there's a, and even what we've talked a little bit about um, here, It's sure. there's there's a lot more to it than that. So how, how do you guys think or define what success is or will be for you?
1: That is a great question. Um, you know, success is impact in my mind. And so Well, I will say it. I I think there is something wrong when you're the only reason you're doing the work you're doing is because of the economic return. I think there has to be something greater, you know, and and you can define that as how you define it. But for me, it's a couple fold. I mean, for assembly to be successful, I think we believe strongly, which is a little counterintuitive in the industrial centers of the Western world. So those places like Detroit and Pittsburgh those places like Stuttgart and Munich and from an economic construct, Tokyo and Busan. There's a lot of juice left in that squeeze, in my opinion, when it comes to the value of those places, the amazing people that reside in those places and the economic opportunity. My goal very much is to invest in the most prolific companies in mobility broadly and, and the companies that are going to truly change the way the world moves. And I'm incredibly lucky. And we've worked really hard by way of our personal brands and that of what we've built to have the ability to, to invest and be a part of those companies, which is great. But the opportunity to do that here, like just for example, like you and I, Brandon, where we sit today in Detroit, a lot of people in Detroit talk about how we're going to win the future of mobility. If we don't move incredibly fast, if we don't focus on these major thematics, if we don't figure out how to partner and bring the capital, the talent and the startups here. It's not a question of whether we win, it's that we won't even be at the table. And so for me, it's like that, it's that ability to have big impacts on these places I care about. It's to work with people I care about. And I think from a second and third order effect perspective, there's still a lot of, there's a lot of talk around ESG, you know, in terms of like sustainability, you know, the way in which we need to focus on different aspects of doing well and doing good. I believe so, so strongly that all of our companies are going to be, you know, are going to contribute to making the world in which we live just more pleasant and whether that's saving people's time in, in terms of their personal commute, whether that's figuring out ways to get waste out of different logistics systems, whether it's, you know, thinking about how do we move faster? Because the world's just going to continue to move faster, but do so in a way in which we are present. Um, and a way in which we are present. Those are, those are, you know, highfalutin goals, if you will. Uh, but yeah. I think that we have a chance to succeed, you know, along those lines.
0: So I imagine trying to take it a step deeper. So what, if, if you have these goals of trying to ha- make an impact, trying to improve sustainability, improve the world in some capacity, one way to do that potentially is through the screening process, right? And you're defining the the companies oh, yeah. you're working with. And then from there, basically, by ensuring the success of a company that you believe in working towards a mission that serves your uh, underlying objective, theoretically you're checking those boxes. Is that somewhat in line with how you're thinking of it?
1: It's, it's, incre- it's completely in line in how we're thinking about it. And then to take it a step further, we, I talked a little earlier about the Michigan Mobility Institute. So this was the first initiative of the Detroit Mobility Lab, which Jessica and I co-founded. Um, this is an entity focused uniquely on creating the future talent pipeline for mobility. And in a year's time with the Institute for Industry Mobility, we were able to create a new master's degree for robotics and, you know, c- certification or different programs that are upcoming around electrification, connectivity and computer science. Why is this so important? It's because if we're going again to be, if we're going to re- not just remain, but continue to be relevant, we have to create that talent here. And I live and work in downtown Detroit. I love the city of Detroit. I love the state of Michigan. I feel very lucky to be a part of, you know, of this, this country and this Western edict in which we have the abilities to kind of go where we want to go and, and help people hopefully along the way, creating the talent in these places so that we can do this together and having the biggest funnel possible to make sure that we're seeing all of this talent, we're seeing all of the different entrepreneurial ideas that are coming in. If we're not, If you're doing that, if you're staying siloed, you're just leaving money on the table. And you're leaving opportunity on the table. So I think the way you put it, Brandon, is spot on.
0: Yeah, and it, it, looking behind the curtain a little bit, so it's it's interesting and actually a uh, great great timing for the discussion. So we're oh, just I think this is a lot, yeah, the yeah last last day of the first week of uh, a new role that I've taken with FEV, where I'm focused on new business development and partnerships. Essentially, mm-hmm. we have, and it, I think it's it's uh, very anagle and it's uh, yeah is very similar to what we're talking about here in that FEV is this. Uh, Ground transportation, old school propulsion, and then electrification, automated driving—like we have all of this work that we've done in these segments—and now we're trying to think, okay, how can we apply this and grow? And there's there's so much else being done beyond what what we're currently doing, and so many opportunities for impact. And so my my job in this first month is defining, okay, what's the strategy? How are we defining success? How are we? Uh, what are we going after? So uh, yeah, you're giving so, me some
1: things to think about. So so to that end, and I won't hold you to this because you're in the you're in the ideation process. Like what's most important to you and why, like, as you think about, and and you had an amazing, and we were talking about this before we went live here. I'm so impressed with what you built, Brandon. And like, I think this is just an amazing forum with people from across the mobility spectrum, like really interesting folks that maybe you, others wouldn't weave in to these kinds of discussions, but how are you thinking about that as it relates to a company like FEV? And the reason I ask you this is because this is an existential question Mm-hmm. That's so many companies are asking themselves right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And uh yeah, de- definitely don't keep it to me, but I, I've definitely uh I've been thinking about thinking about this a lot, obviously. So the, so the, the first one is there is this, and as I threw it out at the beginning, there's this minimum hurdle that you need to jump over on the financial side as part of a, a profitable business business. Right. So I, I have that kind of as the, the threshold, but it's not the end goal. So mm-hmm. that's kind of a filter. And then for, for me personally, the safe, sustainable equitable mobility space really what I focus on in this podcast is where I feel the biggest impact and that's where I think there's the, the biggest opportunity so it's basically trying to find areas in which we have and it's interesting too in that FEV is such a so we've grown into an almost 7,000 person company where we have these oh, yeah. pockets pockets of expertise where we're world leaders or are up there in, in uh, world leadership in the development of these different areas that most people don't know about. So it's, it's trying to, at the same time, figuring out, okay, where do we have this expertise? And then how can this be applied to something that you can make a, a, a strong mm. case is moving the world and society in, in the right direction. So that's kind of, you used highfalutin. It's kind of the, uh, the overall <laughs> North Star that I'm trying to go to. And then from there, I'm trying to build out a more detailed structure,
1: I guess. But I love I love that last part, not the highfalutin part. Uh, <laughs> I, I love that last part about taking what you have and maximizing what it can be. And I think there's you know when we when we talk a lot about the future of infrastructure, you know it's really this huge opportunity to digitize and look at connectivity in terms of a new layer on traditional infrastructure that's going to provide so many different ways, whether it's you know taking like kind of you know compute load off the vehicle into infrastructure assets from an edge computing perspective, thinking about, the ways in which we have this ability to optimize an environment for different types of vehicles or for any one moment in time, like this, these are things that there's so many attributes by way of both human capital and, and, and physical assets that can be used in new ways amongst the incumbents. And there's a tendency, I think, to scrap and rebuild or a belief that you have to. And then there's also this inward looking where we're going to build everything ourselves. You know, there's not a build buyer partner, you know, screen that's the first screen they go through. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I think you starting there talking about frameworks. I think that framework is an awesome one to make sure that that's where you're kind of going into this project with.
0: Yeah. And like, and I don't want to go too, too deep necessarily, but one, one example is, so we ton of battery development. We have the biggest battery facility in the world in, in yeah. Germany and um, battery thermal propagation is a huge issue in automotive, bigger issue in aircraft when uh, yeah. we are getting in, you mentioned Mary Barra and uh, EV toll space. And so we're, we're finding kind of an obvious, uh, nice entry point there where yeah, there, there's some stuff that's off the shelf and where I, I, I'd i put us up to toe and toe with anyone and um, yeah, finding areas to come and make an impact quickly, which has yeah. been a lot of fun.
1: And the other thing I would mention on that point, this is, it's rare that I have these, this good of a discussion this late in the week, Brandon. So this is a pleasure. <laughs> um, what's fascinating there, I think is that there's these opportunities, certainly when it comes to large corporates looking at technology enablement, and how are we going to bring those new technologies and teams as a partner, as a customer, as an acquisition. But I don't think there is as much focus on where are these really unique opportunities for incumbent, you know, multi-million, multi-billion dollar companies around the world, around the West, to work together from a supply and manufacturing perspective to create more. One plus one equals 10. And so at that point, I think you just made, I mean, like, there's a lot of folks who might not necessarily think of you off the top when it comes to where should you be sourcing battery assets from, but frankly, they should be. And so how do we as a community not just have events or have conversations in which it's just for the sake of talking, but we're just BD focused and we jump into these discussions where it's like, this is an attribute that Brandon has and his company represents. Oh, I know 10 companies that need that immediately. I feel like there's still everyone has their quills up a little bit, where there's not the, the first inclination isn't to think about how do we cooperate. Yeah. So that's another opportunity that I think is really big, and we can we can further maximize.
0: Can you give any insight? So it, it seems uh, you, you, I don't know if this is natural or not, but uh, seem seem to come across very in this collaborative mindset and trying to to find win win solutions. Can Can you give any insights into how to make that authentic? So it, yeah, it, it's easy to say yeah, let's collaborate and by that. Let us yeah, yeah. Make track and let's make a let us make a lot of money um but yeah it, it seems like you've come out at it a little differently so have you yeah i guess how, how do you think about the, that model and how, i guess yeah no no it's a
1: great question um it's really hard and it's hard i think to get people to let their guard down and to not let you know ego or bluster drive them when they're used to the being that way in those environments yeah. i find in dealing with you know global C-suites from automotive, from technology, um, from tier suppliers to infrastructure, what have you. Almost all of these people are wonderful people one-on-one. Then some of them, not all of them, but then some of them you get to these dynamic environments and there's like, there's another character, there's another like perception of what I need to be. So the first goal I think is is letting getting people to let their guard down and understanding that there's ways for competitors to talk to each other that can bring a lot of value to both. There's ways to be introduced to people who you might think, you know, this, this is too disparate for me. Why would, why would I, as, a, as an automotive company, a company that's focused on software and a, and a public uh, infrastructure asset? Why should we be talking? What actually comes out of that? So one of our mantras at assembly is we, we believe strongly, and we have a very definitive process This is one of the benefits of having an incredibly intelligent German partner. Uh, We have a good process where we start with, you know, how do we actually bring companies together, large corporates together, in which we can do exactly what you said. We can collaborate in unique and incredibly powerful ways. And it begins with CEO roundtables. Hmm. It begins with us bringing people around, you know, it's virtual, given where we are in time, but soon, you know, very soon to be in person, where it's very much a, uh, an environment which everything that's said stays in that room. And there's a chance to talk about, you know, different theses that matter. We, we held one of these recently and it was focused on autonomy in the 2020s. And it brought together unbelievable people. I mean, guys and gals who, these are the people whose calendar you can never get on. But but we have this really interesting approach where it starts with, you know, you know more about your business than anybody else in this room. Everyone here knows more about you, about their business. And so what if we put you together we talk about a project or a problem or a sector that we know you care about, and we just dive into what are new ways to work together? What are problems that you're facing that maybe you aren't comfortable saying in a public venue? And then someone else is able to say, you know what, we're having the same problem. Hmm. How can we solve that? So it's really about creating these, these opportunities and these, these very serendipitous you know, kind of environments where you can bring these people together And I'll tell you as a quick aside, um, when I, when I first, when I first started to engaging uh, with this idea that this would be something that really would work. And I've always been a very collaborative focused guy in my life. I wasn't sure if people would let their guard down. And I, and I had the chance to actually attend a, an amazing event um, at Siemens uh, at Siemens headquarters in Germany and there was a breakout session in which we were talking about an interesting tender that was coming up in Hong Kong with MTR, which is their public transit authority. And it was a multi-billion-dollar tender looking at an extension of their public trains assets. And there's two gentlemen from two different companies that I won't name, but who who had never heard of this tender, and so it was brief to them. And then during this meeting, they started talking about, well, you know what? Maybe we could we should bid on this. This is interesting, and I could do this part. You could do this. Nine months later, they won that tender. And it came about because you were able to put people in a room with shared interest that, frankly, they didn't know they shared mm-hmm. until they were in that room. So I think it's so important to, you know, I've, I love discussions like this, but I miss, like, the interaction with people. And mm-hmm. those those are those serendipitous moments where I think you really create a lot of value. That's how we've approached it, and it's been it's been magical. And and I, so it's it's something that I love doing because I love, and and I've had a great career investing in great young companies, bringing them up, finding partners in the space, but finding large, you know, entities to bring together to grow value that nobody, myself included didn't know existed until we actually were able to put them in that room. That's magical.
0: So uh, it's, I personally, I think there's a lot of, a lot of value that has been uh, driven from COVID with, uh, with, yeah, Zoom meetings and, and mm-hmm. such, and the, there's going to be a lot of value going on later. But is it, I guess, is it right to say that uh, your opinion is there's certain types of conversations, such as what we're doing here, where there, there is something kind of magical that when it's safe and uh, and appropriate to do so, it's it's going to be critical getting people back in a couple some rooms together.
1: It, it, it's critical. It's critical because of like I can't remember where I read this. It was recently, but it was one of it was a senior finance executive I said, and he was he was talking about how he went out to the West coast and he came back brimming with ideas, just brimming with like new ways to engage because of this environment he was in. Mm -hmm. And so I think about it twofold. I think at the stages in your career, if you're young in your career and everything is virtual, there's so many insights and and pieces of knowledge and really useful experiences that you won't have. And, and, And it's the human nature in us that we want to engage in these, in these ways. And so that's one but two, I think that there, there are certainly things that can be done via Zoom, which are more productive. And so I think we've learned a lot about, you know, that there, it doesn't necessarily have to be I'm in my cube or I'm in my office, uh, you know, wherever I, wherever I go to my, my work every day. But there are, there are certain things that come with trust and that come with really kind of being inspired in a way that comes from an environment. And, I'm a, and, I, and I, this is something that's, it's, this has been my entire life where these, as I mentioned before, these moments that if I was not in a certain geo, and not in a certain place would never have happened. Um, I think those are, those are human. Those are so important. And so I think the sooner this can fall away uh, and we can get back um, in every respect, the better. But I do think video conferencing and, and new technologies that are coming online, they're gonna continue to proliferate.
0: Yeah, and it, it seems like some useful definition of a, a hybrid working model is, is going to be yeah. uh, critical over the next year or so. Sure. Uh, so Wanu, uh, c- a couple of quick questions i like to ask guests. So this first one, is there a favorite book or books of yours? So is there anything that you've read that has had a, a particular impact in your personal or professional life they'd want to highlight?
1: So there's I have, I have one favorite book amongst all others. Um, and I actually read it once a year. And and it's a tome and I probably should, I probably shouldn't, but I can't help myself, but it's called Once an Eagle. And it's a book by an author who's been largely lost um, to a lot of contemporary readers called Anton Meyer. But it's this amazing epic about kind of two army officers that are juxtaposed. One is the embodiment of kind of the the honorable uh, soldier. And the other is, is someone who uses men as and fodder. Um, But it's such a deep introspection, I think, on how to lead, and why to lead and the importance of living the examples you want to set and the importance of understanding that you know we're all sinners and we're all we all make mistakes but redemption comes in what we do next you know how do we how do we how do we look every day and we don't compare ourselves against some unattainable goal but every day we say i want to be better than myself yesterday and if we do that that's going to that's really special but it's an amazing book i highly recommend it i always start in the fourth of july with an old-fashioned uh, well, later in the day, uh, we have, with have an old fashioned and, and once an eagle, um, but it's been incredibly impactful in my life.
0: Cool, well, I'll have to check that out. Uh, anything else that you we want to share? I mean, no no obligation. But uh, any other books or, or thoughts, ideas that uh, particularly stand out and has have had a big impact on you?
1: The other well, one thing I would just kind of this is more of a an all encompassing comment is just the importance of reading. And so like diving incredibly deep into the issues of the day to be well-rounded and kind of going back to the mobility discussion, discussion, understanding all these macro and micro effects that are influencing why the world is the way it is. Mm -hmm. So I'm actually in the process right now of reading the memoirs of Ulysses S. Grant, um, which is an amazing read uh, with regard to his life. There's no more unlikely story than Grant. I mean, and it's a true American story with regard to like where he came from, you know, literally almost homeless selling firewood on the streets of, of Kansas city uh, to becoming, you know the general of the armies in the present United States. we, again, we live in a great country yeah. where these things are possible, but diving deep into the minds of men and women who have changed the world with their actions but who have done so with a greater goal in mind, kind of Brandon, going back to what you're talking about, like, it's great for us to be, you know, producing goods that pro- provide great jobs for people and, and make our communities better and safer and more, you know, more profitable than all the rest. But what is the, what is the better, greater impact we want to have? And I think I love stories like that.
0: Yeah, very cool. And actually it makes me think of an, another question I wanted to, to quickly get your thoughts on. So this, uh, Looking at trends, so one, one thing that sticks and has been kind of a recurring um, theme on this podcast is this d- debate on electric vehicles. And I'm yeah. I, I'm of the, the opinion that there's a, a ton of benefit. There's a lot of work, great work being done. There's certainly there's great applications right now, last mile, um, some taxi services, et cetera. There's some fantastic applications for electric vehicles. However, the uh, the approach of simply take a conventional vehicle, swap it out for a battery pack, do all the mining, um, all, all of the energy that goes into creating hundred, 150 yeah. kilowatt hour battery packs and do nothing about improving the the ways in which we're getting around using lighter vehicles, being smarter about where you need the range where you're not like, if we, if all we do is just swap conventional for battery electric as soon as possible, I, I don't, I think we're doing a disservice. Yeah. So I say that where the regulations and public perception is just, it seems like the surface level where it's buy an EV, do it as fast as possible. And that's, that seems to be where we're going. So with uh, I guess I guess my question is with a, a trend like that, and wh- whether you believe uh, the same thought process or not, I, I guess you, you can comment on too. But when you see a, th- a thread like that and a mega trend moving in a certain direction that's slightly adjacent from kind of the optimal, wh- where do you see as your role in, um, do you go with it because it's good enough? Do you try to help steer the ship or how do you think about that?
1: So I think that's I think you're leading the witness. But with that said, uh, I totally agree with you. I think Brandon that the, your perception is spot on. But that the last piece that you talked about, do you go with it? The answer has to be for any thinking person, absolutely not. It has to be that we are fo- pro, you know focused on what is the most what is yes the most sustainable, but what is the most efficient? What is the safest? What is the thing that allows? You know the people in our communities to to do the things they want to do at a cost that's reasonable for them to do it so I'm a big believer in that I'm a big believer that zealots are dangerous um, regardless of where they come from or what side they sit on hmm. and so I think you you see this kind of zealousness right now um, in different different parts of the world where it's like we're gonna get to completely green energy well if, if that is truly what you're proposing and you're saying we're going to get rid of all of conventional energy including nuclear um it is impossible to power many of these nations around the world if you did that. But people are putting it forward with a zealousness that is not bounded in reality. I think the same comes with electrification. I think the future of automotive is electrification. I also think there's incredible use cases for hydrogen. I also think we're gonna see you know, hybrids for a long time for a variety of different use cases and reasons. And so, you know, and I think if we are gonna talk about electrification holistically, we're not talking nearly enough about the grid. We're not talking nearly enough about actually energy generation at the generation point around storage, around transmission. And so these are things where I think there's a, to the point you made, there's a, a belief that we have to do this, but there's not nearly enough thinking as to, you know, why are we doing it? And so I think that we need, we need to step back, utilize all the technology we have at our disposal and yes, go toward the right direction, point at a target and say, this is our target but don't do anything in a knee-jerk way because, you know, it's been adopted as a religion. I think to the contrary, we have to do things because they're, they're, they're sensible. They're scientific. They, uh, provide the, the most, you know, kind of value to the consumer as well as to the manufacturer. And we're leveraging all these amazing assets we have around us. So I think I couldn't agree with you more.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. And I appreciate the perspective and it's, it's, uh, I guess also, also in practice, a lot more uh, challenging than it seems it, yeah definitely the easiest thing is to jump on the, mo- on the wave and ride the momentum, but uh, yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. So the last, last kind of real question I had, so you had mentioned uh, developing a team with uh, particular strengths and leveraging it. So I'd, I'd be curious, and I ask every guest, uh, what is something, uh, what, what's a personal strength of yours that you've identified and been able to leverage?
1: Wow. So I think that one thing I often say, and I truly believe it, is that candor will save the world. The importance of being candor rich, being honest, and not being cruel, um, but being upfront around how challenging something's going to be, about being upfront about someone that does a great job in telling him so. Um, you know, one of the great things I loved about the military, and it's a, it's a much maligned institution, especially by those who have never, who have never had the opportunity to serve is that it's truly a meritocracy. It's the, most, it's the most equal entity in the United States by way of you rise or fall purely based on your attributes and your, and your work ethic. And so I think being, being candid and rich so as to cut to the quick, so as not to waste time. Um, and again, doing so in a decent way, you know, engaging with people and, and not telling them that their idea is stupid, um, but telling them why I don't agree with it you know, and being upfront about that. I think it's such an important trait. And so for better, or for worse, and it goes back to your earlier question, Brandon, about a desire to always focus on a collaboration, a desire to make sure that, you know, the people that are doing the work are, are the ones that are rewarded and being held up as equals with them. Like that's something that has always pervaded my, my life, coming from a working class background to what I'm doing now. And so I think if you're, if you're candor rich, you'll always serve yourself, you know, better, but you'll also serve better everyone around you um by getting to things quicker rather than just selling hot air which nobody's buying
0: yeah and it seems like maybe there's and i don't know if this was uh, consciously built up over time or whatever but it seems like there's kind of a suite of skills that come along with that to make it effective so yeah you mentioned doing it in the right way tact being effective as a communicator being able to choose the right words and tones having the right, right body language and, and stuff yeah, all kind absolutely. of enabler to make that uh, effective right and I think,
1: well, and the other thing I'd, I'd end with is I think also being really willing to say hard things because they need to be said. Mm-hmm. And this is a, that's a tough thing. It's, it's tough to tell someone who is completely enraptured with an idea that you think it's wrong. It's tough to go against everybody saying we have to do this because it's the right thing to do for whatever reason, if you truly believe it's not. And so speaking truth to power and and being true to yourself, like that is it's a tough trait to, for anybody. I don't care who you are. It's a tough trait to really embody all day, but the more that you can, the better you'll serve yourself again and, and everybody around you.
0: Yeah, awesome. So, uh, Chris, really appreciate the time. This has been a, a fun discussion. I uh, I'm definitely going to be walking away with a lot to think about, which I'm I'm looking forward to uh, reflecting on. So, before before we leave, though, uh, wanted to to leave the door open for a couple of things. So, first of all, I'll I'll link to your LinkedIn page, Assembly Ventures please. website. Um, is there any place else that you would point people who are interested to learn more about what you're doing and what we talked about here? And then also sure. just if, if we missed anything or if you wanted to leave any uh, any last thoughts, feel, feel free.
1: Oh, that's really kind. Yeah, please take a look at LinkedIn. Tremendous activity there. I actually wouldn't go to our website. It's more of a, a landing kind of holding page right now, but I would go to our medium. And we've put forth a tremendous amount of white papers around, you know, around the ISA framework we're breaking out mobility 4.0, how we think about each of the individual segments, um, you know, the announcement around our operating advisors, but it's an incredibly, especially for mobility nerds, uh, our readership is through the roof. Um, and so, but we have, in all, in all seriousness, we've had an amazing response to these pieces. And I think it's because people are just so hungry for not, not something new, but something that better encapsulates where we are and where we need to go. And we think we've done an amazing job and our broader team has done an amazing job in putting those together. Um, No, I mean, I think other than that, my biggest goal always is to meet with incredibly wonderful and ambitious and intelligent people who care about moving the world. Our mantra is partnering with the people that move the world and that's everything. It's all aspects of the people we engage with, especially the young companies that we'll be investing in. Um, So if you're around campus marshes and you want to grab a beer, Uh, count me in, you know, if if there's, and I, and we'll be back on the road here soon enough. I truly look forward to having a chance to meet, um, you know, the next generation of those that are going to move the world.
0: Awesome. Well, yeah, like like I said, Chris, we really appreciate the time and what you're doing and uh, yeah, looking forward to talking further.
1: Thank you, man. I appreciate it.
0: The Future Mobility Podcast is brought to you by FEV. For more than 40 years, FEV has been a global leader in the development of mobility solutions for the transportation industry. With a team of experts passionate about innovation through the design, development, integration, and validation of turnkey vehicle and propulsion system technologies, FEV is your partner for the development of future mobility solutions. I'm your host, Brandon Bartnick. If you want to learn more or get in contact to share feedback or questions, the best place to find me is on LinkedIn at Brandon Bartnick. Thanks for listening.